Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome back to the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and today we are joined by Matt Shockman to talk some elder chicanery. Uh, as always, I'm do- joined on the podcast by Nick Nanavati, who doesn't really need an introduction. He's one of the best known players in all of 40K, and for good reason. He's basically won everything under the sun. Um, in a minute, we'll have Nick introduce Matt and we'll start talking about his list. But before we do, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Let's talk about the Frontline Gaming Network briefly. If you haven't been there, you should definitely check it out. There's a lot of great podcasts there that are primarily uh, competitively focused like this podcast. So hopefully you found us there, but if you didn't, you should check it out. There's a ton of great, great, great discussion going on there. All right, Nick, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Matt, and then we can have Matt introduce his list. Yeah, so Matt is one of my good friends over on Beast Coast, and he's been one of my teammates for years. Uh, We actually played on ETC together over, uh, I think it was in Greece, but I could be mistaken. Um... And he's been a diehard Eldar player for the entirety that I've known him. He's played Seer Council before it was cool, and then after it was cool, and just forever. Uh, a lot of Shining Spears, and a lot of unique Eldar styles um, on a very aggressive approach to the game. So I think it'd be really interesting to talk about. We haven't had Eldar on in a while, and Matt's one of my good friends. So uh, Matt, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little about the list you're playing? Uh, yeah, so hi, I'm Matt. Um, Nick kind of did a pretty good job, but it was actually Spain. Where we we I'm ETC the other day. Both in Europe. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that's true. I think they're all in Europe. But anyway, so uh, yeah, definitely Seer Council Warlock Conclaves has. I don't know why it's just always excited me. I've kind of I've dabbled in some some chaosy psychic lists as well. Because generally, just like something where I get to have some sort of big unit that I get to cast a ton of psychic powers on has just always been my jam. Um, that was. Definitely at the beginning of 8th edition was a little bit of a disappointment when all of a sudden none of none of those things worked. So that was that was a little sad, but it's okay. We got there. We finally we got some supplements, we got some psychic awakening, and now now I get to have warlocks. And then of course we had a pandemic, which made it so I can't play with my warlocks. So that's that's very depressing. Um Nick, is there a way to okay, I guess I guess I just I guess, yeah, let's, go list, top to, let's go top to bottom, like as if you were reading it out to somebody, like okay. Italian one, Italian two. Italian. Yeah. So, what I was actually, I, I ran it at a whole bunch of local events, and then I was planning to take it to a couple of GTs, and obviously that kind of fell apart. But I still did get to play a whole bunch of games with this, and I really loved it. So, what I was taking was a three detachment Eldar list, all Eldari craft worlds. I don't, I as Nick can tell you, I very rarely dabble in. Drakari or Harlequins. I'm just, uh, I'm a little bit of a purist, um, which is fortunate because playing craft worlds, <laughs> you you always have options. So the list that I've been running is the first, the first chunk is a battalion of custom craft world, masterful shots, children of prophecy. It's a wind rider host. Um, it's two farseers, a nine man warlock conclave, and then just some obligatory troops. So an eight-man unit of Storm Guardians and two squads of Rangers. The only reason for the Storm Guardians is I, I needed to save 12 points. So uh, not, nothing secretive or special going on there. It was purely just I, I needed some points. 
Um, then there's a spearhead that goes with it, which is again, custom craft world, masterful shots, children of prophecy, just a single warlock to fill my HQ slot, uh, two solo support weapon platforms with just shadow weaver guns. And then a nine man unit of dark reapers, because even though they're not exactly the most popular choice anymore, given that night spinners and things have become more popular, the dark reapers fill a whole bunch of unique roles for what I really need going on. And it's again, really easy to support them with what else is in this list. So then the last part is a Samhain Outrider Detachment, which is a lovely Autark, just Laser Lance. And then he's going to, he almost always, or I guess in most formats, takes the Free Relic. I just give him that Samhain Laser Lance for the Strength 8, because it's, again, just really good. And then you're always Strength 5 in close combat at a minimum. So that helps with a lot of weird problems. And then usually taking the Ion Distance events Eye on, eye on Distant Events Warlord trait for the Ignore Overwatch. And then the rest of that detachment is two nine-man units of Shining Spears and a five-man unit of Swooping Hawks. Interesting. So very They're <laughs> Very true to Sam Han, I guess, and there's some Dark Reapers. This looks a lot like the old Yanari list that was double Shining Spear and Dark Reapers. It does, um, doesn't it? Yeah, except you don't have Soul Burst and you have a Seer Council. <laughs> Not really sure how the Seer Council... Supplements not having soul burst, but I guess that's what we're here to find out. So um, it actually does a lot. <laughs> okay. Well, well like, how do you generally use this list? I mean, it just seems like a, co a collaboration of good units with, aside from like, yeah, you have psychic powers. What is the synergy here? Why, why are these come together to make something greater than the sum of its individual parts? So what ends up working really well is almost no one will shoot at this Warlock Conclave because even one in, a, in almost all deployments, you can make it so it's just an awful hassle to get to them. For and again, this is very general. Just like when you're thinking about the, your, your, especially when you're thinking about like those first three or four rounds of a tournament where you're not necessarily playing against the most skilled player, but you're playing against people who generally have strong lists. They they they've they've got thoughtful lists, but they don't necessarily have the best tactics on the board. And that's part of the reason of having the shining spears and the dark reapers is those kinds of units are they're strong heavy hitters that will just demolish certain things you know obviously say say i get to go first in any of the shorter board deployments so like a dawn of war well the two units shining spheres and the warlocks they're just going to get there like so it almost becomes a in the in the vast majority of games when you go first here's two units of shining spheres here's you the warlocks they're going to move eight they're going to move 16 to 22 inches forward one of the units is probably going to take the sam hain strat to be able to advance and charge another unit is pretty much guaranteed Actually, it is guaranteed going to cast Quicken because what's going to happen, obviously, is the Wallachs and the Farseer are going to stay close together. They're going to use their Seer Council strat. The Farseer, who every single time is going to trade out his Smite for Focus Will, is going to toss Focus Will on those Warlocks because they're in that Children of Prophecy detachment. Their ones count as twos. So assuming Focus Will goes off, all the powers are auto-cast. You can obviously... Yeah, even the rolling double ones cast the seven to cast, which is absolutely absurd. Exactly. So you can obviously stay more than 24 inches away from anyone. So even if you're playing against an Iron Hands list, you, you're never, no one's going to have any ability to deny your Quicken. You're just going to do that. And you're just going to have the one unit of Spears that's going to use the Sam Hain stratagem to be able to advance and charge. So in the vast majority of instances, you're going first, you're slamming into somebody with 27 biker units, you know, 108 shrinking catapult shots, all those laser lances. I can't tell you how many games are just won instantly. Now, obviously, 
I can like, imagine, like in a Donna Wars setting, double spears and the Seer Council just hitting you turn one, then charging. It, that's well, so the advantage much. to the Warlocks over having like a third unit of spears, which is what I had at the Las Vegas Open, is the Warlocks have that lovely invulnerable saving close combat. So they really get a lot more value and mileage out of Protect versus the Shining Spears. They get the two up armor save, but they don't have an invulnerable in close combat. So as you've actually done to me before in practice games, Nick, you just kill all the Shining Spears with anybody who's got any sort of weapon that has AP on it. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. So the nice thing is, if something doesn't go right, if something bad happens, like, you know, obviously those the Shining Spears are Sam Haynes, so they're, they're re-rolling failed charges, but so you just roll bad dice twice in a row and they fail that charge, or if, you know, the horrible scenario happens of, like, I fail Focus Will, I fail it with my re-roll, and then quicken fails and suddenly the shining spears are up there they both move 22 inches even though one of them could still try to charge but the warlocks are say they're they're stuck far back well because they're protected and they're probably fortuned three up invul and five up feel no pain you can really you can recover from that bad situation so that that's one of the reasons why i like having them and then also they just they wrap things better so you know you run into like one of those big nasty dreadnoughts that you're known for fielding and I can wrap that up and you don't have enough density of attacks to really do that much damage. And then suddenly you're just dealing with these warlocks for five turns, which means you never get to the reapers who are hanging out in the back, just continuing to just pummel you from afar. And that that's of course why I like having the reapers because they're sitting back there and you know, the three damage shots for the two damage shots. And again, a lot of these buffs that I don't really need. So like guide, these other units that are up there probably don't need them. The Warlocks don't really care because I don't take Singing Spears. The Shining Spears don't need it because there's an Altar for reroll ones. So it, it allows my buffs to be spread out in what I find is a, a very agreeable way. Interesting. So I always used to guide my Spears a lot of time when I played Eldar. And that's because even without the, the Singing Spears, it's still 32 shots, 36 shots per unit, depending on how big it is. Like That's not insignificant at all. So... I'm surprised you're like, oh, I can just guide my Reapers, no problem. It's like there's an opportunity cost there. Do you not find that that's the case? So it's minimal because, remember, the Altarc's going to be floating with them. He's giving them a reroll one aura. And then as far as the guide goes, the the only reason I'd really want to guide them would be if I know I'm shooting at somebody who's got some sort of hit modifier because then at least I'd get to reroll my twos. Although, again, guide isn't like a an awesome... Space Marine Aura, where I get to reroll everything. I, I still don't get any modifier rerolls, so it it ends up not being that huge of a loss. And what honestly I guide more often, if I'm going to guide something other than Reapers, is actually guiding the Warlocks, since they're a different detachment than the Altarks, so they're not getting. I'm sorry, different craft world than the Altarks, so they're not getting the reroll ones. So guiding the Warlocks ends up being something if I think I need the extra shots. But the vast majority of the time, I find that those. Those lovely ignore cover reapers just really get a lot of benefit from that guide. And again, the spears just don't need it because they have an autark. So they're already re-rolling half of the dice that you would have re-rolled anyway. Right. Um, it's just interesting to me because a lot of people are going towards those night spinners like you, uh, like you mentioned with expert craftsmen and uh, ignore cover. They do a lot of output and they're very autonomous. Um, they don't really need any support to function. And of course, indirect fire is just phenomenal in the world of ruins that we live in. Do you find that you have, you're have you able to get your Dark Reapers good line of sight to things and they're not too vulnerable to things like Thunder Fire Cannons and whatnot? So I definitely find that 
things like Thunderfire Cannons, they they really they just pick up all the Dark Reapers. But the upside to that is generally I find if somebody's taking the time to shoot at my Dark Reapers, they're either choosing on turn one to not shoot the Shining Spears, who will then kill them, not shoot the Warlocks, who if you don't whittle them down early, they just become impossible to deal with later. So it's kind of a, yeah, it sucks. Something like Thunderfires will just pick them up. And if I didn't have Dark Reapers, if I had instead, I had, you know, if I shuffled things around and I had three Night Spinners, well, then objectively those Thunderfires would have really no, nothing good to shoot at, except the math on it kind of sucks for me. Uh, if somebody takes three or four Thunderfires and they actually shoot at the Warlocks, somebody I take four Thunderfires. I'd like to see their list. Well, sorry. I was thinking three <laughs> Thunderfires and then one of them shooting twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but good call. Anyway, um, that can kind of suck if that suddenly starts shooting at the Warlocks. But at the same time, if they don't shoot the Reapers, they're kind of missing their opportunity to shoot at them. Because then, of course, on my immediate turn, I'm probably putting something into those Thunderfires or I'm shoving something right up into their face. So it's it's a weird dynamic of... Would you rather, like, from your perspective, do you think it's a mistake to shoot the Thunderfires turn one? You mean to shoot the Dark Reapers? Oh, shoot, shoot Thunderfires at the Dark Reapers, yeah. I would say every single time shooting the Dark Reapers turn one with Thunderfires is a mistake. It's against like, a, a trap you're laying. It's like, oh, you can kill this really scary unit of Dark Reapers that the internet told me is bad. Yes. The the internet says the Dark... Well, and what's interesting is the internet kind of says right now that Dark Reapers are kind of mediocre. Right. So what's also weird is a lot of people just don't shoot them. So I, I can't tell you how many games I get to turn five and the Dark Reapers are still alive. Like they haven't even been shot. And I just look at what they've done over the course of the game, and it's like, oh, well, they killed a Lehman Russ over here, and they killed a Basilisk over here, or they killed, you know, three Ravagers, or they they, they just pick things up that they shoot at. And it's. Yeah. Do you think that's due to your list just threat overloading? Because two units of Spears and a unit of, of Council that's all very mobile and sort of in your face, like you're dealing with it right now. Because if you don't deal with it while it's in your face, Everything you love is getting wrapped or just beat up, and uh, they do a lot of damage. Like you said, you know, you know, guide doom, um, all the buffs that you stack, uh, and so the dark reapers sort of go unmolested just because of the sheer aggression of your list. Is that? I believe that is a big part of it. Um, I I think it's per- a perfectly viable alternative would be to swap out dark reapers and some other small things and grab night spinners. I, I think they're they they fill a similar role in the army of something to do damage from afar. I I think in some cases the night spinners do it better. Um, I I won't lie. A big part of mine is almost laziness. Of I have three night spinners, but they're not painted to the level I want them painted. So I generally just don't play with them. Um, I use them in practice, and then I kind of go, yeah, I'm not going to paint these in time. And the dark reapers still fix a lot of wonky matchups. I mean, like anybody who has a bunch of modifiers, it's these dark reapers just solve that. So there's, it. I think the Night Spinners are a better tactical choice. I think they give you more options, but I think the Dark Reapers are perfectly fine. It's almost like a, an S, like, I guess if you're, I think, what's the, I think there's like gamers speak for it of like a, a B choice, an A choice, and there's like the S choice. Yeah. So I, I would say the Night Spinner is almost the S choice, but the Dark Reaper is very, very close sitting in that A slot. I, I wonder if like, some of the matchups where the Dark Reapers are good, though, they're so much better than the Night... And the Night Spinners are sort of... They are what they are, and I don't know that you really need them in most most of your games, because you're... You're, you're right there. Your game, 
Well, also, yeah. yeah, like a lot of the point of indirect fire is in like shooty lists. You need something to go reach a guy behind a wall. You will just move next to the guy behind the wall yep. with 44 inch moving spears and just kill them. And so it's a little bit redundant to have a power like that. To that end, I had another detachment question for you, I guess. Um, a lot of people these days are going for Hunters of Ancient Relics, Shining Spears, um, with probably Superior Shurikens for 16th range or maybe AP-1 instead. You're going for Sam Han, I am assuming, for access to the Advanced and Charge Stratagem. Is there anything else that gives you, and why do you do that instead of... It's not even the Advanced and Charge. Like, honestly, yeah. that, that matters so infrequently. What it really is, it's the reroll charges. Really? <laughs> because I've just... I have failed so many short charges so it's almost a superstition thing which is weird because I, I think a lot of times you think that a, a lot of people think that players who do well at tournaments aren't superstitious and i actually think we are the most superstitious players <laughs> I mean, you've met me right <laughs> yeah like we do the most ridiculous things we take the most ridiculous choices it's like oh i think this list is objectively better than mine but i really just like playing with this thing and i, I think even even you know, A and B tier players, even S tier players are are that same way of like, yeah, I just, I really want to use this. And in my case, it's, I, I failed so many charges. I just can't imagine doing this without reroll charges. And again, because something that we didn't really touch on, but if you think about the CP in this list, I never have more than eight because I probably need to, because the Autark is my warlord. I guaranteed want field commander to take, to, to make one of my, my Farseer Skyrunners wild rider. So at that point with the Windrider host, I've spent two of my 10, so I've got eight. I don't really have a lot of CP to be spending it on rerolls because at a minimum, I'm spending one every turn to do that Seer Council strat to give the plus one to Psychic Powers for my first year in the Warlock. So it's kind of like, I'm tight. I can't be spending CP on rerolls. So even though I would love those extra attacks and I would love the Spirit Shuriken or even just having more masterful shots for ignore cover, which is also phenomenal, it just... The CP is not there for the rerolls, and then I just can't handle failing those charges. And uh, you know, part of my strategy also comes from my play against Andrew Gagno a lot, and he's usually playing sisters, where he's got these like obnoxious infantry screens of just giant chunky sister squads all in my face, and I need to make seven, eight, nine inch charges to get over these things. So often the reroll is just really crucial. I do want to ask about CP specifically because I found you know, being an Eldar player myself, and I love, love, love playing Seer Council. I do it all the time. But man, that that unit is so CP hungry. Because like you said, you're you're using the uh the I forget the strat, the one CP strat to add plus one to your cast for a warlock and a farseer every turn. You also want to like swing and leave combat pretty frequently on the Windrider host. Uh and that costs a CP to use that obviously to even have access to that. Um, so I was just kind of curious, like how you prioritize your CP utilization. I'm sure it, it differentiates depending on matchup, right? But uh, what's your overall feeling on that? So the swing and leave combat one is actually a an interesting strat to bring up. <laughs> it's really weird. I almost never use it because at two CP, you just you can usually only afford to do it once. And so what I find is one of one of several things happens. Either I'm playing against somebody who just really doesn't. Either like I've explained the strat to them multiple times, and they still just don't understand what's going to happen, and they some weird charge scenario happens where they either charge me or I charge them, and then it's just like perfectly like a perfect opportunity to leave combat and like make the situation just untenable for them, 
or it's I messed up and I need to get out of there. But for the most part, what I find is it's really about the seer council is awkwardly vulnerable. So you're, even though it looks really durable, part of its durability is everybody thinks it's really durable. So when you start describing to somebody, Hey, it's got a three up in and it's got a five plus feel no pain. Everybody's got three wounds. So it's 27 wounds. They're just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to bother shooting it. Whereas the real trick for them is they just shoot at it a whole bunch. You'll lose models. You'll start, you'll start losing ability to cast powers and then suddenly it's not so scary. So you almost, you need to keep it as big as possible, as long as possible. So it's almost like you want to get, you want to go up there after you've crippled them with the spears. So a lot of my strategy is unless I'm playing in somebody where I think I can just win turn one by shoving everything at them. The majority of the time it's, I'm going to projectile a spear unit into you. It's going to cripple something. And then probably the next turn, I'm going to send another spear unit into you. It's going to cripple something else. And then at that point, it's like, okay, well, now I've had two turns of Reaper shooting at you. I've had two turns of spears. And each one of your turns, you're just killing the spear squad that I sent there. And then the Warlocks kind of follow behind and do cleanup duty and kill everything else, which allows me to avoid having to utilize the fallback and, or the, the fallback after fighting strat. Again, saving my CP because realistically, you just don't have enough to do that repeatedly. And you kind of need to do it repeatedly. That actually makes a lot of sense. You're almost playing your army like a tiered list in a way where you're sending one one wave in after the other just to deal with this problem right now. I probably traded up kill, the spears kill like two units and you kill the spears back. That's or between the spears and the reapers, you kill two or three units, they only kill the spears back. Easily getting kill more, keeping them kind of muffled up in their deployment zone dealing with these spears while you're scoring a bunch of points with your steer council. Is that kind of the idea? That's that pretty much nails it right on the head. Uh, also thinking about it too. You have enough, like, um, what I would call distracting units. Like, you can't just leave Spears alone. You really don't want to leave Dark Reapers alone. So, like, having Seer Council, like, turns four, five, and six that's intact and big enough to, like, be a real threat is almost impossible to deal with. Like, they're so mobile. They just do everything. And, again, like, it, at the end of the game, when everybody's sort of limping around with not a lot on the board, they, they can take over the game by themselves. Yeah, so like a, a great example is um, Andrew and I were testing out some Grey Knight armies for, it was originally for Adepticon teams, and then he was kind of dabbling with maybe he wanted to play just Grey Knights purely, and he was doing what I think was pretty becoming pretty standard of big Paladin unit, big Terminator unit, and then a bunch of strike squads, and then just like piles of obnoxious characters. And what we found was pretty much what happened is like, if he went second, I would projectile a spear squad into him, kill most of either the paladin or the terminator unit that was there and then kind of the same exact scenario would play out where then the next turn the second spear squad comes in finishes off whatever was left there kills a couple characters and then suddenly even though his other star gets to come in his other star comes in and there's a fully buffed up seer council hanging out in the back a spear squad he still needs to kill and then what would happen is he would kill the spears because they're easier and then this just nine man warlock conclave would just kind of fly over and be like sup I'm still full and half your army's dead. Yeah, it's almost just like they, the, it's just wave after wave after wave. And by the time they finally maybe get through all of it, the game's over. Also, thing that we're, that I, I neglected to mention, which is very important with these Dark Reapers, is, you know, it's not often used anymore, but, you know, a lovely little forewarning on Dark Reapers from one of those Farseers can, even though it doesn't often, do the damage of because mo most people especially if you're nice and you explain it as they're deploying their deep strikers 
you tell them, oh, hey, you know, I can shoot you when you do this. But even just the zoning out that that creates of people are like, yeah, I don't want to let you shoot out a sequence at me. So then it also gives you that benefit that the night spinners don't of people just stay away. And again, that whole thing of if you're going to, if I can get you as, as Nick likes, as Nick has said before, if I can, I can put you in the pocket and just make you stay there. It doesn't even matter if you kill all my units because I'll hold objectives more all game. I'll probably be getting bonus points and I'll probably be getting kill more because you're not leaving your corner. Yeah, exactly. Billy's shockingly like a Tyrion army. I did not expect that. That's really interesting. Um, Because that's basically their strategy as well. So um, how often, I know you mentioned a couple times that you just throw your units like turn one charge with double spears and the conclave deploying the line, go for it. I imagine if your opponent uses terrain, because your army kind of struggles to charge through terrain, if they have screens or if they just don't deploy directly across from you on the line, that's pretty difficult to pull off. Um, how often do you actually use that tactic of going all in? I would say it's... at a If we think like a six-round tournament, I would say it happens at least two games out of the six, where really? my opponent... It's usually the opponent just... They just, it's usually somebody who doesn't grasp how quickly the army is going to move. Either they have, usually one of the two is somebody, ha- they just haven't played Eldar a ton, or they haven't played Eldar recently. Because again, armies like this just, they, they kind of fell out of popularity. So what happens is they're just, they're just not really thinking it through. And even as I sit there going, like, hey, I'm going to move 44 inches, they're just not thinking how far 44 inches is. I mean, I know, I think. It brings me back to you were at my house one time, Nick, and we were you were measuring out to try to make it so that way I couldn't charge anything on turn one, and you just kind of concluded that you had to put your whole army in that back corner. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, and you you were just like forty four plus two d six is really far. <laughs> it's basically the whole board. <laughs> yeah, it's sixty six inches theoretically, and, and then of course you can start on your line, so it's really yeah. sixty six plus twelve is the board's only seventy two. You know, of course, it's only one spear unit, but then what I think happens to a lot of people is they go, well, if the one unit is just going to get to me, in their mind, they just, I think they mentally block it and they almost go, well, that just means the whole army is going to get to me. So then, like, I'll just deploy on the line and hope I seize or say we don't have seize anymore, but, you know, or just hope that you fail your power or fail your charge. And they, I think almost people just give up on turn one. And I think one out of six games is that, which is sad. And then the second one is usually they just, leave one thing too close and that one thing is usually something somewhat useful and it's kind of like okay either i'm gonna charge it and kill it or if it's think about like a guard army where it's like hey you know what i'm gonna charge it i'm gonna string really far back i'm gonna make it so i don't really kill anyone when i charge i'm gonna wrap up the one guy and then my other spear squad and my warlocks are just gonna touch that same combat no one's gonna die and suddenly you know 27 bikes are staged right in front of something like a guard army and it's like well uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, especially, like, I can totally imagine someone tries to set out a screen or, like, go for a hold an objective point or whatever, and, you know, what seems like a harmless, I'm going to try to hold one, turns into, oh, I can't shoot your entire army out of nowhere. Yeah, people do it a lot with scouts. Um, yeah. Which is kind of sad, because I know you you talk about, I think you've talked about it in clinics before, of, like, being cautious when you when you put units out to take objectives and you know that that random scout squad just sitting almost in the middle of the board on an objective where somebody's just harmlessly thinking that's okay and it's like yeah i'm either going to get a kill off that or i'm going to wrap it in stage in the middle of the board so that even though you might have deployed perfectly far back 
I do basically the same tactic on turn two where the spears and warlocks are staged in the middle. So then even though you were far enough away that I couldn't go all in on turn one, I do it on turn two. Yeah, I actually played a game against Mark Perry the other day on our Twitch channel. And that game will be uploaded to YouTube if you guys are listening to this retroactively. But um, there was only three objectives, and the one was like right at the tip of my deployment zone. We were playing Cut to the Heart. And I didn't hold it for the first three turns of the game because to send a sister squad, I was playing sisters, out to hold that objective would have meant probably 80 cultists wrap five sisters and I lose the game instantly. So a harmless hold the objective point can be such a trap against these close combat armies. I I do want to bring up something I think is interesting that, that Matt sort of touched on, but we haven't really talked about on this podcast before, Nick, and I'd like to get your perspective as well. Um, what this list does very well is that alpha is very hard and ends the game on turn one if, it, if an opponent like you know deploys poorly or whatever. And I think there's a real value in having the, a list that has that capability because what happens is in a long tournament, so if you're playing, let's say, six rounds uh, over two days, if you get a couple easy gimme rounds because you're able to like strike so hard, that's actually a real advantage to giving you um, a little bit of a leg up in the later rounds where you haven't maybe had to work quite as hard because... You, you got this uh, this win where you came into a game and, and a person is maybe a little more experienced or maybe didn't really understand what you could do and you got a couple of, uh, I don't want to say coasting to victories, but basically you play turn one, you've won the game, it's just mop up. You don't have to put a lot of thought into it after that because you rolled a bunch of dice, killed a bunch of stuff. Um, and, and do you see value in that in trying to win events, Nick and Matt? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. So there's definitely value to not using your brain power. Energy is a limited resource that humans have. So the more you use it, the less you have it for later when you need it. So getting those gimme rounds is great because it lets you kind of put your mind on easy mode and just coast through a round. Typically speaking, and Matt's listening exception, which I'll cover that in a second, going for those turn one easy mode, I push the win button and do the list and win the game. That's very much a trap in a lot of scenarios because oftentimes winning faster is often a recipe for inviting dice to screw you over. Like I go for a turn one quicken play to win this game with spears charging turn one, and I just fail quicken, and now my spears are all dead. Now, Matt's list in particular can't fail quicken, or really, 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 really has to try to fail quicken. It's a really tiny um, percentage. So it's that part is pretty much negligible. So he's come up with a list that can do it without rolling the dice. It's just going to happen. But like I've seen people go for turn one warp time plays and just not pass it and you know be really really sad about it um there's like white scars a lot of different armies raven guard too can do turn one alpha strikes that are brutal but they come at disadvantages of oops i lost dice especially in formats like the wtc which still have seized the initiative it's really you know there's a one six chance you just lose if you go for it but eldar again have phantasm to at least get themselves out of dodge if things go do go right and of course in the itc format seize is gone what do you think Matt? um so i mean Pretty much that that's kind of how this list was designed is <laughs> so that way it has that that option for the easy button win because I, I agree mostly with you nick there's there's a lot of value in it but you have to be careful you know you you pick an army like a often like a magnus morty list is like this where they they're kind of designed to like put so much pressure on turn one but then stuff goes sideways you fail a couple saves and then suddenly they're both dead and now you lose the game whereas what this does is one there's very there's almost no failure point because Quicken is going to pass. You can pretty much guarantee it. And then again, the reason why I took the Sam Hain 
is the spears are rerolling charges. So again, more more layering of like just making it so these failure points won't happen, which allows it to have that opportunity to just win games turn one. And in actuality, like when I have buddies come over to practice games and outside of these like really hardcore tournament lists, like like some of these Iron Hand armies and things, we generally don't even bother playing games where I go first because it's just pointless. Um, a lot of <laughs> A lot of my local buddies, if they come over to play, they're just like, I'll play, but I have to go first. Otherwise, they don't want to come and play. Because I mean, it is defensible, though. Like, if you. I believe they should play going. Like, we should do the practice for them, but a lot of them will just refuse. They'll just be like, we can play, but let me just go first. I can understand how someone who's not skillful at defensive deployment could definitely get run over by spears and stuff but especially it's very hard to find yourself going second on a war point on a war if you don't want to be it's about one and nine in the itc format and then then you always have depth to your deployment zone if you're running a good army by conventional standards you probably have screens to block out some charges and then terrain spears still even with the fly keyword have to obey terrain when they charge so they can't go through walls they can't climb floors they still have to land somewhere you know there's there's ways around it absolutely so i think it's not an easy thing to do i'm not trying to sell it short but it is totally defensible and that's something people need to learn to really elevate their higher like you can't go to a turn and saying if i play shining spears 50 50 at best like that's not a strategy i i wholeheartedly agree and that's so you know again little little positive note for andrew when he and i do play is what we do a lot of times is like we go over so after we determine who's going first we we almost set up both armies together of like does does this block me out does this make it so I can't do this and basically by the time we're done deploying we already know what I'm going to do on my first turn because we either determine this is the thing that I have to be able to charge so if he's like deploying sisters we we know exactly where I can get we know exactly how far each charge is going to be before it happens and it, what's interesting is you know some guys who come over and play will do that and they're interested in it and then other people are just like I don't even want to play if you're going to go first because it's just it's just pointless. Or we agree, hey, can we just like play completely different armies? <laughs> because it, it's not yeah. fun to have a, a coin toss. There's, there's different types of playing. You and Andrew seem to be like play testing to learn and like grow as players and develop your skills. Uh, and there's playing a game to play the game. Like obviously, I imagine in a tournament, you don't sit there and do your deployments together. So there's one is practicing and the other is playing. You know, you'd be surprised at a lot of local RTTs and stuff. I try really hard to help other people. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're the nicest. See, Nick, that's why I got this lovely Best Sportsmanship Award from Adepticon last year. Ooh. Yeah. You know what's h- hilarious about that, though? Because I, I genuinely do that, too. But people always look at you like you're trying to get over on them. And so they almost, a lot of times, they'll you'll talk them into doing the opposite of what you tell them. Even though you're coming from a good spot, you're just like, no, I, I really don't think you should put that there. Please don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and I've I've had that experience many times in War Machine and Hordes. It is just it's it's it it just makes you shake your head because you're just like no, I'm I'm genuinely trying to help you. Like I, you yeah, know? I had so I, I had a Warlock Conclave with a a different list at this pat at the Nova Open last year, and <laughs> one of my opponents, I was trying really hard. I was like, dude, you you need to like don't like he wanted to put his whole army over on one of the flanks after I deployed on the other flank and i was like dude don't even bother i'm just gonna phantasm over there and like just you should just deploy center be ready to go and he's like no 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 i want to i want to put my he ultimately ended up putting his castellan over all the way on the flank and his whole army in the middle i was like dude you you really shouldn't just put that knight over there and he's like no no this is this is this is the right play this is the right play and then lo and behold i went first i phantasmed over there and then 
the the warlocks quickened themselves up and killed the Castellan on turn one. And he, as soon as it happened, he was just like, I should have listened to you. I was like, are you sure you don't want to just change it? <laughs> like, like, I'm telling you, the game's just going to be over. And it, it's true what you're saying, John. Like, sometimes you try to help people and they just, they think you're trying to pull something on them. And then they just go with the opposite. And it's like, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Yeah. Well, to get us back on track, we've talked a lot about going first and laying the pipe down on somebody. What happens if you uh, go second against like an army that can maybe expand and take the board control really well, like a horde, without getting too match specific, because we'll save that for episode two. Or maybe an army that can deal a really crippling alpha strike, like three Thunderfire cannons plus a drop pod full of grav or something. How do you counter-deploy each of those going second? So a lot of so like your your second option of like the thunderfires and the drop pod grab a lot of that kind of comes down to hoping that i can really make use of these dark reapers and forewarning because that can kind of fix the grab problem almost right off because well, actually it can't anymore well not anymore yeah the faq thing so you can intercept the pod all you'd that like that is true i forgot about that that, that is a good call yeah. nick so yeah. that Again, we're kind of talking about a list that is also several months old now. But so the original idea was that. So right, there, right. there's a little bit of rework that has to go into thinking through how that's resolved. Um, so I guess. Would you ever sacrifice like your troops as screens? Absolutely. Or your, uh, so, spear unit as screens, even if force came to worse, the Dark Reapers perhaps. So a lot or, of times, what's going to happen is between the Rangers, the Storm Guardians, and the support weapons, and if the Swooping Hawks, if I have to, you can create a pretty large area of stuff can't deep strike in here so at the very least even in a lot of cases i'm probably not going to make it so that drop pod graph can't hit anything but i should be able to make it so the drop pod graph can only hit what i want it to hit um in most of our deployments again there there's a couple where i'm just kind of screwed but here's a, here's a question for you would you invite the drop pod grab to shoot the seer councils since they're only a four up on their normal save i would still rather them not because in my view, I really don't ever want anyone shooting at the Warlocks. It's still like take 20 saves, give or take. Yeah, because it's still you know, Even on four up invuls and one damage each, that's still 10 wounds, three dead dudes. Yeah, so it's probably not the worst thing in the world if they get shot. But I'd in that case, I'd rather leave the Dark Reapers kind of somewhere where they're just an obvious target. They get shot, I mean, they die. Oh, well. As an opponent, if I could do, if I could get the grab on the Seer Council and Matt says that's two to three guys and then quadruple shoot thunderfires into a seer council i'll knock that to a three or four man and that's just not a threat anymore yeah like that's that becomes a real bad day because then all i get in the in the trade is i kill a drop pod and some grab devs <laughs> which yeah. you were planning to sacrifice anyway because their whole purpose is they're a sacrifice i will say there's a little bit more value to it because realistically you won't kill the pod you will probably trap your entire army into a pod and that's going to be a pain in the butt for me to deal with but there's no council at least yeah, that that is definitely the kill the guys and then wrap the pod is a pretty pretty standard move. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> at least I'm not going to get shot. Now I can think for a turn and figure out what the hell yeah. to do to get out of this very unfortunate situation. Uh, do you ever consider deep striking the anything? I really hate deep striking the warlocks, but I my on the fly move, which this is interesting because since I obviously haven't played a bunch of games against Space Marines since that FAQ drop, so I wasn't even thinking about it. If I had this army all of a sudden and I was playing against that, so if I found myself at a tournament and I was like, oh crap, I didn't read the FAQ, that gets dropped into my lap. I, I think the immediate answer would be, okay, well, I'm going to deep strike the Warlocks. I'm going to deep strike one of the Spears. 
honestly, I think points wise, I can't really do anything else there. So yeah, it's basically the other spear squad and the, and the one dark reaper squad kind of just end up becoming sacrifices. And I take it on the chin with what I have. I try to zone things out as much as I possibly can with everything that I've got. Maybe I can make it so the spears are hard to hit. Um, they're going to take it from those thunder fires, but if it's possible to have somewhere out of line of sight where the reapers can and the reapers and spears, like a lot of those, a lot of the ITC, especially if we're getting to use like the, the preset terrain, um, there's, there's a building where I can probably hide one spear squad and a reaper squad. So then it's okay. Well, I'm going to get hit by the thunder fires. That means you'll probably hold the pod for a turn. So there's some opportunity there if the building's large enough to actually leave more things in there. But worst case scenario, if I have to, I would say deep strike the warlocks, deep strike a spear squad, and then kind of just there's some recovery ability. Yeah, deep strike it and just make it through turn one. I I do. This leads me to a question because we talked about how like you don't even have CP to reroll charges for the most part. Yep. Um, Does that mean that do you have the CP for a turn one lightning fast on an important unit? if that's the only one they can shoot. I'm kind of curious if you've budgeted 2CP in for that or if you'd use it. I hate having to do it. And what's interesting is against a lot of these Space Marine armies, which is really what you're kind of thinking about when you're thinking about something that's going to beat you, they reroll all the misses anyway. So it actually almost starts to feel like the... It almost feels like it doesn't matter <laughs> because they're going to reroll everything. So if you're I only making the minus one... Fast as an Eldar player. What? I also hate using lightning fast. Yeah, like, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I use it and then go, well, that felt like a waste <laughs> because the I unit mean, still dies. Right. Or like even if they don't die, it's like I if you go from hitting on threes to hitting on fours, like how many of the number three did you roll after rerolls? Like uh. So I yes, the CP is there. Um that's again be, before this lovely drop pod thing that we that Nick was kind enough to highlight for me again. The one of the thoughts would be if I have to, I could lightning fast, but it really, I mean, the immediate move in my mind is I'd already been kind of moving away from using it where almost every time I use it, I'm disappointed. So I actually very rarely use it anyway. Um, I've leaned more on picking one of my units to deep strike to keep it alive. Um, again, the ITC terrain is just glorious for an assault army because there's these giant buildings <laughs> that you can hide in. Um, that was one of the things that really helped me a lot at LVO was once I managed to work my way to those top tables, it was, there was just this big building and it didn't matter if I went first or second because no one could see anything. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. All right. So one thing that struck me as a little odd, um, you were very hesitant to use your swooping hawks as a screen and like worst case it comes to worst, you use them. But what are they there for? Like, you seem to have a grand plan for them. So, really, is this list again came off of my LVO list where I had three units of shining spears, so I didn't need swooping hawks, so I didn't have them. Um, so in this case, I one I needed a third fast attack, so that was obvious answer number one. And then, really, what I like them for is various secondaries. Um, so if I want like a line breaker at the end of the game. Um, 
again, I haven't, I haven't agonized over the ITC secondaries in a while. So that's a little rusty there on thinking about which ones I would take, but I just find a lot of secondaries being able to put a unit anywhere I want on the table at any point during the game is just completely invaluable. You know, I can obviously, I can either start them on the board and then jump them off right away, or I can bring them in sometime before turn three and then bring them back in later. So just again, that ability to get anywhere often can use, especially in a close game, We'll just be like, hey, you know what? Suddenly I need to be on that back objective. And usually by the time we hit turns four, five, and six, all the spears are dead. And the warlocks are usually, especially in a close game, they're busy keeping the game close. They're they're engaged with something. They're keeping something from shooting. And often all I have left is some rangers, some characters, maybe a couple storm guardians, dark reapers who are also busy. And having a swooping hawk unit that can just arrive and go sit on some objective is very valuable. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to deny, like, I've been using um, a lot of genes that are called to my Tyrion armies and just Deep Strikers in general, like Sarah from my sisters, to get a lot of secondary points, like Behind Me Lines, Recon, Mind Your Own Business, that kind of thing. Uh, I guess that's also something you use for Rangers for really well, which is nice. Yeah, what's weird is my army's really good at Recon, and I'm actually, as a player, just really bad at Recon. <laughs> for some reason, I just, I look down and I realize that, oh, I was planning to get Recon this turn, and I moved out of that quarter or this one unit could have been spread into a quarter so it's interesting i know some other folks who they pick up my kind of armies and they play them and like oh yeah it's great at recon and i'm like yeah it is but i never take recon <laughs> really that's so strange considering your strategy in a lot of games is literally just to blitz them i you know it's really weird i'm just really bad at it so i often go for things that are just killing related or i especially you know I'm I'm actually a weird big fan of old school. Um, I I've stopped taking it against people like Andrew and against any kind of Iron Hands army because that's that's just a recipe to lose a bunch of points. But yeah, for some reason I'm just really bad at reconning. Let's uh, let's talk about ITC for a second. What is your overall strategy in ITC, and what are your favorite secondaries to take if you can get away with it? Like, what are you what are what are, the, what are your go tos? What do you what do you sort of pick first? Let me, let me bring up that mission packet real quick. <laughs> Make sure I have this fresh in my mind. I'll take just a second. As someone who plays 40k like three or four times a week right now, it shocks me that you don't have them on the tip of your fingertips, but then I realize that the rest of the world has been in quarantine. Uh, and I'm, say, uh, Nick, I, I've been quarantined. I have a two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> my 40k privilege is showing. Just a little bit. You know, you gotta, gotta check that for a moment. So... A lot of the times, especially with the way armies are lately, um, Headhunter is usually actually a really easy one to do, in my opinion. Um, think about these Space Marine armies. They have lots of Thunderfire cannons. Um, that's that's common. Um, so it, in general, I really like it because, again, the way my army functions is I'm going to get up there. I'm going to be up in somebody's grill. I'm going to have spears in there. It just it works out really well. Um, Mark for Death works out a lot because often I'm marking things that I need to kill anyway. And especially when you think about, often my plan is, I, if I know I'm going first, which I, correct me if I'm wrong, ITC is now, you pick secondaries after you roll for that, because you, you roll for attacker defender, and then you pick secondaries. So if I know I'm going first, things like headhunter, mark for death, just become obvious choices, because I'm probably just going to go and kill a bunch of things. Um, obviously, then I need a, some sort of maneuver one. So I actually like engineers quite a bit. Um, I find... What's weird is I actually use a Shining Spear Squad for it a lot, especially 
especially in games where I'm going second, making the shiny. It's totally games. lost me. Right, I need a, I need I, a I full this, novel this report on this. So what happens a lot is if I'm going second, I'll make a shining spear squad and engineer. And then usually like the second one is like the swooping hawks because they're going to be able to stay off the board. So then what happens is the really good players will shoot at the warlocks because they know they need to whittle the warlocks down. But suddenly there's this engineer shining spear squad that they're just like, I need to get rid of that too. I really need to kill the reapers. So you create this threat density where you can actually confuse even really skilled players because they're just like, all these things have to die right now. And then what happens, it's the strangest thing. So say the guy has three Thunderfires. They'll shoot a Thunderfire at the Shining Spears, and they'll kill one. And then, or say they kill two. They kind of go, crap, I only killed two Spears. And then suddenly they, they get freaked out, and they're like, I, I really need to kill some Warlocks. So then you, you, see the, you can see the best players just start to get scatterbrained because all of these units now need to be killed. The Warlocks are horrifying because they're going to cast all the powers. The Shining Spear Squad is terrifying because it's an engineer. And the thought is, they kill that engineer. The only other thing is a Swooping Hawk Squad. So they'll be able to stop me from getting points. And then, of course, Dark Reapers are Dark Reapers. It's almost a deterrent. Again, it's like, make them shoot the thing they really shouldn't be shooting, like a Spear Squad. A lot of it is about building these like little layered traps with your secondary choices and with your unit choices. And although that that's not going to stop someone like a Richard Siegler, or even like a Nick Nanavati necessarily, or like an Andrew Gagno. It again, it gets you through those games to the point where you get to play one of those people, which is a whole strategy in itself. And that so that that's the theory behind using engineers is again, in a game where I go first, I either end up just I kill most of their stuff. So it almost doesn't matter what secondaries I pick because I'm gonna kill so much stuff on turn one. And in the game where they set up defensively and say I'm only going to projectile one spirit squad in. Well, the other one then makes a great choice to hang back, score some engineer points, and then also is just a secondary choice to do to go forth and be a second projectile. And then by the time I want to use them, the swooping hawks are on the board and can then take over engineering. Yeah, it makes sense. Um does your list want to be attacker defender or or attacker or defender rather? I mean that's totally yeah. matchup dependent. <laughs> That's fair. That's so a lot some of these are like, I always want to go first. Some no. are like, I always want to go second. I guess yours is always flexible. It's, so it's very, it, I think the army can fulfill both roles. It's, but the answer to your question is, what am I playing against? What kind of terrain do we actually have? Like, are we talking LVO top 100 tables where I would I basically say I could be attacker or defender? I almost don't care. Um, but then, of course, also, what am I playing against? Am I playing against iron hands you know like what like what i got to play against in the the lovely shadow round at lvo versus richard you know i, I did not want to go first in that game <laughs> that was not what i wanted i wanted to be the defender right right so it's totally matches but i get that basically i would say if i'm trying to make a rule of thumb here if your alpha strike is going to do crippling damage going first is an easy win button and if it's not like iron hands are just too tough for that then take the mission advantage and play the mission in the long game exactly all right that's fair enough so i had one question um before i leave it up to john to kind of finish it out um you've gone for withdraw on your spear squads everyone i've ever talked to takes the plus one invul to get that two of invul protect thing going on what what is going on with withdraw what even is withdraw so i'm never going to cast protect on spears almost never <laughs> so we, we start off with that so the two up invul is never 
I mean, it's just never going to happen because I'm not going to protect. So that that's kind of like part one of that. The other answer is withdraw is the, I can, at the end of the fight phase, so after we both fought, I can fall back. So I can just, but it's not really fall back. I just get to move six inches. So it's great. So it means I can get out of combat. So I, what you have is, it means I don't need to spend CP to fall back and charge, which is great. So it almost gives you like a, a very Yanari like effect without. Yeah, it's not, it's not 22 inches back to safety, but it's, it's six inches maybe behind a wall. Cause I believe you move as we had the moment phase, right? Yeah. So it's basically like, really, it's more, I very rarely use it in my fight phase. I'm usually using it in my opponent's fight phase to, if they didn't kill the spear squad, I fall back, I leave, and then on my turn, I get to shoot and charge something. Which is right, great. because you're not, and you can even advance too, because you're no longer in combat. That's interesting. Correct. And then, of course, the the exarchs. Oftentimes, what happens is, I think you remember this from your spears, is the whole squad dies, and there's an exarch left. And the yeah, exarch, like an exarch and a guy, or just an exarch, something like that. So then, the exarch and his one or two little friends go peace, and they they withdraw and they leave. Which either, again, a lot of people take things like mark for death against me, where they're marking shining spear squads. So then it's like, well. Sometimes they can't then finish the spear, or they're really motivated to finish it, which then means they have to overcommit, which is a very similar strategy to like Personally, Richard does uh, with right, right. drones. Too many drones. Yeah, My, mine is a little bit worse because it's you know I'm, I've got a 272 point unit versus a tiny little you know what like. But no, like if one spear jets off behind a wall, never to be seen again. That is, you're just denied him a point forever. I denied him a point, and it's just it also denies a kill. So there's lots of weird little things that happen there. Um, yeah. If I, I, I would actually typically choose Reaper against like your stylus just for that reason. Like I don't have to want to have to chase a spear that flies across the table that survived. I want to just all right. I did twenty six out of twenty seven wounds or whatever it is, or seventeen out of eighteen. I got most of a Reaper point. I'm happy. Yeah, um, definitely the that that change for Reaper because I, I know in one of the draft versions they didn't have bikers counting for it, so. Right, but, but making it but now, infantry and bikes. Yeah, council is what twenty-seven, and you have exactly. two spear squads for thirty-six, and there's troops and there's reapers. Even if I can't max it, it's in my best interest to get three points, and it will just happen naturally. Otherwise, I'm losing anyway. So that's kind of how I view it. Well, exactly, and that that gets into that whole concept of I'm picking secondaries, where and you and I have talked about this before. Outside of this, is sometimes you're not trying, especially against really skilled opponents or really powerfully built lists. You're not trying to get four points. You're looking for what can I easily get two or three on and then have the potential to get a fourth point, but I'm not really expecting to. Yeah, it's much better, and this goes more to secondary theory, it's much more better to pick a secondary that you can reliably get two or three points on without going out of your way at all than to get a theoretical, well, I guess I could get max headhunter if I table them. Yeah, which is which is why for my list, especially like if I know I'm going first, I like things like headhunter and mark for death because I'm going to be up there killing stuff anyway, but if I know I'm going second, then I'm probably only going to pick one seek and destroy type thing. I'm going to pick two of the maneuvers because even though you know I, I jokingly say I'm horrible at recon, I'm not I'm not complete moron. If, I, if I'm going second, especially against something where I have to take recon, I can definitely take the time to be thoughtful with it. But it's just something where I feel like some players just instinctually are really good at making sure their units are always right where they need to be. And I'm good at that with one or two units, but definitely, and that's part of why you've never seen me play armies that have you know. 100 units in them or like 200 model lists because I, I just i don't mentally track that well and i know that it's a very them. different skill set yeah yeah um i did forget to mention i do love the postman by the way 
is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> do you want to explain why real quick? I, I, was, going, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was hoping one of you would ask. So. Um, <laughs> I just assumed you would do that. <laughs> I, I, was, I was actually going to. But anyway, so having a single warlock be the postman is also another one of these things where it just really then, when you think about so, little this. So a warlock is the postman. A spear squad is an engineer, or even both spear squads are the engineers. So suddenly now, you really, you're, you're agonized. So I'm going second. Everything's on the board. The hell do you shoot at? Because <laughs> like, you look at this and you go, well, dang, those Reapers are really scary because they're going to shoot all game if you don't deal with them early. The Warlock, you need to kill a bunch of them. But at the same time, you're never going to get to kill the one because you're not, almost no army can kill nine Warlocks unless I just literally put them on the front line and say, here, shoot them. So assuming that you're going to have to really maneuver to even get shots, you're now, okay, well, a Warlock is going to, because what they're going to do is they're going to run around the board all game. So going to each objective is lovely. So you're very rarely going to be able to kill them. So you're thinking, okay, I've got my alpha strike. I need to shoot some of those Warlocks because I need to start whittling them because they've got powers and they're going to take objectives. I need to kill those spears because they're also going to take objectives and they're also horrifying because they move 44 inches and charge. So suddenly you just, again, you really double down on this threat density of what do you do as my opponent? And that leads to most players then making mistakes because they're not sure what to do. So they either just pick randomly or they just don't know. And again, what they need to kill first is completely dependent on what's in their list. How, which things can they deal with later versus what do they have to deal with before it gets to them? Okay. Uh, maybe I'm just a dumb new player. But how does that work with the postman? So the reason like, why that works is because explain again, it to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so ahead. you're because the warlocks, their whole shtick is that they're really durable and they're probably going to be alive all throughout the game. They're able to, because with the postman, the whole point is you have this one model who can be in a unit who then is just trying to gather intel on objectives, which is really just being go, go sit near an objective at the end of your turn. So that's really easy to do for Warlocks because they move really fast. So again, because they can just move 44 inches whenever they want, I can easily just decide, you know what, I need to be over on that side of the board at the end of this turn to take this objective. So the Warlocks are going to be moving quickly doing that. And often we're thinking about objectives that are probably near your opponent. So that also then means I want to be near them anyway, especially later game. So first turn or two, I'm just going to grab the objectives close to me. So thinking Dawn of War, thinking like a standard like four or six objective deployment, I've got objectives that are very close to my deployment zone or even in so on turns one and two it's like cool grab this one on the left grab this one on the right you know projectile spear squad into your opponent the spear squad kind of distracts them and does a whole bunch of stuff the other spear squad is say engineering then on turn three the warlocks are probably following up so they're now kind of moving to mid board again pick another objective that's going to be your postman mark and then at that point you really want to be in their army which becomes easy because Warlocks and Spears kind of do a similar thing of generally they're able to clear out little sections of the board. So even though none of these units are objective secured, they're still going to be able to just make it so I can control the objective by sheer ability to just kill whatever was on the objective. I think I'm a tiny bit confused. Are we making the entire Conclave a postman or just like the one Warlock character that's being like standing right behind the Conclave being escorted around? So Postman is single model. so you could Oh, it doesn't have to actually be a character, does it? It does not. So it's just Andrew. like a single a, so one guy in the Warlock Conclave. That's right. I just yeah. everyone always picks a character because like if it's like one scout, I'll just kill your scout. But in a conclave, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. I see. I, I see that, how we that, got lost here. 
That's why yes. I that's why I needed you to explain it to me because I, I was not following that. that I, I thought of the character. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Cheating. Apparently, no. Everyone else doesn't know how to read. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not. In, I mean, I I just I just reread it just to make sure I wasn't telling you something again that was outdated. But no, I'm I'm pretty confident on this one, Nick. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I forgot it. <laughs> so it, it's really cool, though, right? Because the, again, you're yeah, just, you're doubling down on the table. So that that makes perfect sense. That's a really interesting thought. I never thought of. I'm gonna have to use that because I'm playing Seer Counts the next week on stream. Yeah, I mean, you're you're just you're doubling down on this unit that's already durable, and it's weird because you still kind of don't want people shooting at your warlocks, but at the same time. You kind of do because what you really want is you want people to have to shoot at everything, and you want them to not just focus fire something down. And you can, especially if your warlocks are three up and female pain, three up invul, then it's all of a sudden it's not in their best interest to shoot the warlocks. Like the effort it takes to kill one warlock could have killed three shining spears. Like, or the common thing that happens is you shoot the first gun at the warlocks, and like a jerk, I make like three saves, or I say I fail one, and then I reroll, and then I I spend one of my my precious CP to reroll something and I make another save. And then you kind of look at it and go, well, dang, I just wasted a whole Thunderfire cannon or dang, I just wasted a, a quad last cannon dreadnought or something. And you just go, you know, I'm just going to shoot something else now. And every one of those wasted shots is crucial. Well, do we have any questions from you, John, or do you ready to move on to our tactics episode? I'm excited to talk about the tactics because as usual, uh, this list, it seems like we always have really flexible lists on, on this podcast. We so, try to bring on good players. Yeah. Good players typically bring flexible lists yeah. that adapt to their opponent. I, I think it makes sense. <laughs> it, it does make total sense, but I just feel like we're saying the same thing every time, which is, you know, jump, you know, get excited about episode two because we're going to talk about individual matchups and it's going to be really interesting, but it's, it's just true. Like, it is interesting. So. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, Matt, for explaining sort of like the overall strategy or list, which is what we always do in part one. Uh, patrons, we'll see you on, on Patreon for part two, where we dig into the details of optimal play with this list, which will be really interesting. And if you haven't joined Patreon yet, <clears throat> or our Patreon in specifics, uh, it's a really good value. We have like, I don't know, like 45 or 46 hours of in-depth discussion about individual lists, and you really get in the minds of really good players. And it's six bucks a month. So uh, you can think about it as getting 45 hours for six bucks, download them all, listen to them all, you know, whatever, and then uh, be on your way. <laughs> but we're also releasing um, new episodes every week uh, where we go into these deep dives. So I think it's, it's a tremendous value. We get a lot of good feedback about it. So if you haven't done it and you're sort of on the fence, I would encourage you to give it a try. Otherwise, we'll see you on part two. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Art of War. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.